Alright guys, this is your father's favorite movies. Father's favorite movies. It's the podcast where we give a fresh generational perspective on movies that your fathers probably thought were really cool back in the day. Um, today we're covering True Romance, which came out in 1993. Um, this is our second take because we, we <laughs> didn't do the, the audio correctly the first time. So I've already heard uh, what all of you think of the movie, but um, this was all of your first watch of the movie. What did you guys think? awesome i thought it was really good i uh i was it's 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 like a rainy day movie which it's raining today so it's perfect it is indeed yeah i loved it i was um i was expecting more cheesy nonsense and i thought it was like oh it's a good movie (laughs) what made you think uh it was gonna be cheesy nonsense i don't know because i i knew nothing about this and i all i know is what we've seen so far right so i know expecting like Stallone climbing mountains i'm expecting <laughs> Schwarzenegger did we see any Schwarzenegger movies yet not yeah. yet we just but talk we about really them should. all the time yeah. we should put some on <laughs> oh there's there's definitely the priority list yeah there's some on there uh, you know what i was thinking of i was thinking of true lies when you said true romance that would, yeah, yeah, i think yeah. that's on the list too it absolutely is that's uh, james cameron yeah it was, it's like uh, i was saying it before but yeah it's like a a tarantino romantic comedy it's a, it's like with the music and everything that we were saying it's like it gets that kind of vibe. It's like, of course, there has to be violence. Of course, it has to be weird, you know. Uh, yeah. But it had like this highly romantic aspect. Like even the part in the beginning where like she's like, "You you killed those guys," and she's like crying. It's like, "Why you, you know? Don't cry, baby." She's like, "No, that's so romantic." And then the music starts. Yeah, I like, thought it was going to take a different turn for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm glad I was wrong though. I thought it was going to be like an abused wife story. Yeah, and I'm glad that it wasn't that. Yeah, as weird as it, it's not much better than that. But she gets beat up several times. Does in the, no, but no, no, not no. by I mean, not by her husband though. That's true love. No, That's he, true romance. He just he just kills people for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, he no doesn't abuse. Beat her. Uh, so yeah, this is an interesting question. Are uh, the lead characters Alabama? What's what's the guy's name? God, I don't know. Uh, Clarence. 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 Yeah. yeah uh, are they good people? Because. Absolutely not. They're selling drugs. They're killing people. She shot a cop at the end of the movie. Are they good? Uh, I mean, I think right from the get-go when they first meet and, you know, Alabama kind of comes clean and she tells the truth to Clarence. And he's like, he's like not even phased. He's just kind of like, okay. Yeah. And then, and then they like, quote unquote, fall in love. And then his first thought. Which is and it's our first chance that we see him as the uh, the schizophrenic sociopath. You know, we see him in the bathroom with his imaginary Elvis. So you think he's a, a schizophrenic sociopath? I think so. Yeah, I, I think that's the real tale of the story. Is that a lot of this stuff is going on inside of his head? Interesting. But uh, well, because he's clearly like listening to the voices in his head. You know, and, and I think that's yeah. That, Elvis tells that him to, to go me, kill a guy. Yeah, he does. Yeah, and he listens Pretty to quickly. it. Pretty quickly. That's yeah. a really good point. This is a very charming romantic movie about a guy who's really like a deranged sociopathic yeah. schizophrenic. Yeah. He <laughs> goes he goes a murderer. into the lion's like, den. Yeah. You know, he goes into this party where all these like hookers and drug dealers are all hanging out with just a revolver. Yeah. And like that whole scene where he's walking in the party, I was sitting there like, what does he think he's gonna do? Like these yeah. guys are gonna kill him, you know. <laughs> Have you guys seen Taxi Driver? Yeah, actually. Yeah. Do you know that that's related to this movie? I knew just because 
well, for one, he's going to kill a pimp. So I was yeah. like, oh, taxi driver. And then he literally puts on the same like trench coat as Robert De Niro in Taxi Driver. Like looking in That's the mirror. That's funny. I didn't catch he's that. He's using pretty much the same revolver and he walks into like the same type of a place and shoots it up. Yeah, apparently, uh, Christian Slater and the director, Tony Scott, got in some disagreement about how Christian Slater was supposed to play the character. So uh, Tony Scott gave him Taxi Driver as homework to prepare for the role. Oh, gotcha. so interesting and and it's funny you mentioned this movie might be all in his head because people say taxi driver has that same thing like it's sort of this guy romanticizing mm. the idea of playing god and he like goes on vigilante but we don't know if it actually happened or if he's just kind of insane it's an interesting take on it um because i could see where you guys are coming from with that and like now that you explain it out a little more i can see like yeah it's like what he went and did in the beginning was pretty sociopathic like people reasonable people wouldn't do that even if they wanted to right but yeah like even I, if they felt compelled to they still would stop and not do it part of it for me was like because uh, I, I, I saw it a little differently i saw it as like this is like Quir- like a, maybe not quentin tarantino's because he didn't direct it but his and the director tony scott's vision of like being abstract about just giving you a, some like it's the character's way of thinking out his thoughts when he's in the in the mirror, you know, like just thinking like, okay, yeah, what do I want to do the about Elvis this? Character. And the Elvis character is just their artistic way of Maybe being like, this is his way of thinking. Well, well, no, no, no. I, I mean, you guys have a point too. That, that that was just the way that I saw it. I didn't see it yeah. as the sociopathic way. Um, Elvis didn't necessarily have to be in the room. Just right. A tool for the right. It was a tool for the. Well, it was just a tool for the audience to be like, this is his yeah. other side. Yeah. You know. He was like the conscience of, or the the guidance of the character. Like, right. Like him well, talking to himself. I, th- I think another aspect of it is uh, that like schizophrenics are typically very sensitive. Like they they pick up on things that other people aren't picking up on. And so like when the that elevator scene when uh, Elliot is wearing the wire. And he walks in. He has no problem shoving his fucking face into the it's wall, true. putting the gun to totally his head. Totally true. Totally true. Just, and just because he thinks something's amiss. You think that would kind of derail the whole business transaction, like him doing that? Well, I mean, Elliot is freaked out the whole time. <laughs> he's already he's he, freaked out for multiple reasons. He's under he high dies. stress. He's under high stress. He's, uh, he's been under the gun from multiple different they, people. Even, even Lee, the uh, movie producer, he even says it explicitly. He's like... You look like shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he's like, "I'm sorry." Because <laughs> he's such yeah. A, yeah. Well, so, yeah, he's he's the assistant yeah. for someone to insult you, and then you apologize for your. I think he's. Oh, you got to tell us about uh, Quentin Tarantino. Oh, yeah, so, tell us the story of how that movie was right. Uh, so, made. so yeah, this is um, Quentin Tarantino's first official screenplay. Uh, how this movie came about, Quentin Tarantino. You know, it's all pretty well known. It's uh, it, you know film mythology he was working at the uh as a video clerk at the video archives in uh manhattan beach in california he's making 200 dollars a week his co-worker roger avery an aspiring screenwriter came to him with 50 pages of this sort of modern day bonnie and clyde story and asked quentin tarantino to help him out because he was at a dead end he didn't really know what to do tarantino came back with 500 pages of handwritten uh screenplay that 500 pages ended up getting broken into two movies, which became True Romance and Natural Born Killers. How much do you think 500 handwritten pages translates to in, like, actual screen? I think it may be 200. Screenplay. Maybe yeah. 200. Like, because it is spaced out. Like, the yeah. script is really spaced out. So it might be similar to 500 pages. I guess you wouldn't handwrite in, in 12 font. No. Exactly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so he would tend to write in larger, larger well, hand. Well, evidently it was two movies worth of 
of screenplay. I wonder if he wrote it handwritten in like script format. Like, yeah, it, it I wonder if he was thinking about like one minute per page. He might not have even known the, the the script format. Like, I don't know. He, he can go to the library. First screenplay he wrote handwritten. So. I think Tarantino, he, he knows a lot a about movie movies. Fan, he knew everything he could possibly know without making movies at that point. Yeah, I would bet you it's five hundred minutes. Wow, you, exactly. Wow. That's what I'm thinking. If we added the two movies together, you think it comes out to be five hundred minutes long? <laughs> <laughs> that it's would be so crazy if, if there are no changes to that <laughs> script. You know, splitting it into two things. Yeah. So, when people think about you know, the movie that started Quentin Tarantino, they think about Reservoir Dogs because it was the first movie he directed. It came out before True Romance, but the reality is this is the first screenplay he sold for True Romance. Uh, it came out... Or sorry. Uh, so there was this movie, The Last Boy Scout, which Tony Scott directed. came out in 1991. Quentin Tarantino got onto the set because he knew uh, his friend was a production assistant who helped him get onto the set. While he was on the set, he cornered director Tony Scott and pitched him two movies, somehow convinced Tony Scott that these movies were worth reading the screenplay for. He sent him both the screenplays. Tony Scott read them on an airplane, and he thought they were both so good that he wanted to direct both movies. And Quentin Tarantino said, no, I'm directing one of these movies. You get to direct one, so you can choose which one to direct. And Tony Scott chose True Romance over Reservoir Dogs. Uh, the original script for True Romance was a non-linear format, sort of like Pulp Fiction. It also involved the characters dying in the end. I'm glad it didn't end up that way. I liked yeah. the. I, I thought there was enough crazy stuff going on that uh, chronological order, I think, lent itself well to to this particular. I agree. Script. Yeah, it would have been so different. I think. I thought it was really silly that they didn't die in the end. <laughs> I was expecting at least one of them to die. Like when the guy died, I was like, I was kind of expecting, or when he almost died. Well, when the when they have like the shootout scene, which is hilarious, by the way, because they they, they have they're having a standoff already, and then the mobster guys jump in the room to yeah, continue yeah. the yeah. standoff. Like it's and and every the, dramatic moment is. And those guys are like, movie. wait, there's already a standoff going on, like. What's going on in this room? Should we just, like, back out of here? <laughs> no. Christopher well, Watkins, guys. But yeah. when that scene is happening, I was sitting there going, every single one of these people in this room is dead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they should they should, they should, should have just, like, when they saw the bad guys with the guns, like, what are they going to, they're going to put their, like, when they didn't put them down immediately, then you know you got a problem. Yeah. It's like, they're not just going to lay them down. Like, you might as well and just kill them all. And kudos to those guys for standing their ground, like... <laughs> Couple of cops. Yeah, like, fuck these guys. Fuck you guys. We got oh machine guns. Yeah, dude. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We've got this war one. He, he even said he's like, I got a problem with cops. I don't know, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. I don't know if those two are are even necessarily breaking the law. Like those two bodyguards of that guy. Like they might have just been honest bodyguard people. They might have gotten away with it. Right. The, ah. the, you think they're accomplices? To I the mean, drug deal? if you're in proven in the court of law, you know, if there's an FBI raid or a police raid and. And you're threatening to shoot the cops. That's what I'm saying. If they would have put their guns know. down, they would have been the ones they would like, have gotten least fine. held accountable. Yeah. Uh, okay. But you, they didn't like cops. There's a little more to your uh, your story here. It looks kind of interesting. What? Uh, how did it oh, end uh, up? Like the making of the movie. So, um, right. So, Tony Scott shows True Romance. He paid Quentin Tarantino $50,000, which was the WGA minimum for a screenplay at that time. Interesting. Uh, that being said, Tarantino used all of that money to finance 
uh, Reservoir Dogs, his uh, debut directing. I wonder so what the minimum the, is now. The money that he made for the screenplay from True Romance financed the making of Reservoir Dogs. And that movie wow, came out. Entire career. Yeah. That movie they came did out. that movie for fifty grand. Well, I I probably more than that, but I. It kind of makes no, sense. It was, it was a cheap one. Yeah, it's made in like yeah, one yeah. room. I, yeah, know? I mean, there's only a couple of sets. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of dialogue. Tarantino was talking about it on Joe Rogan a little while ago. And oh, really? they were there. Yeah, when Joe Rogan interviewed Tarantino, he talked about this as well. It's yeah. interesting. I'm having a little bit of podcast inception right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, play a clip from that. <laughs> yeah. There was <laughs> pull that up, James. There was one thing that uh, we were talking about a little earlier um, before uh, we restarted. Here was we were talking about the ending and whether or not we felt like, you know, this should have ended like with them walking off into the sunset, or if it shouldn't have, hmm. and uh, you know whether the characters deserved to have that ending or not. It sounds like the answer is no. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for me, it was no. I think uh, if Tarantino directs the movie, there's no way the the two leads live at the end of the movie no i don't think so um, but with tony scott like this is you know it was just a different movie and i don't think that would have worked for a tony scott movie yeah i also think the characters did not deserve to live happily ever after if you're looking at it from that point right but the tone of this movie is like this is a love story and you're not supposed to feel quite the tragedy of these deaths that we're watching like it was right. all shown in this weird romantic slash comic light and if the two main characters didn't survive and like live happy ever after i would have just been sad like i, I was <laughs> this is a happy movie despite all appearances and i think it would have ruined it to make it not that well when i think tony scott tried really hard to make this like a happy movie a family movie if you know, it's like, and even though it's clearly not that, yeah. he was uh-huh. trying to do that, right? But at the same time, it just stinks of Tarantino. Like, mm-hmm. there yeah. there are just too many Tarantino moments that, like, Tony Scott, no matter what he was going to do, he can't get rid of it. Like, Well, I felt that the musical score really added to that positive romantic feel. You know, like let's talk about the score. It was very strange, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I've, got, I've got a few notes on the score. During uh, watching, yeah. So... Uh, very beginning of the movie, you got the rockabilly music playing, uh-huh. uh, and, we, we, and we meet our, our lead character Clarence, you know Christian Slater. Uh, that like that scene right there, that whole intro scene is just Tarantino, Tarantino. Like it's just well, screaming I think at me. That character is Tarantino, right? Because you said he's working at a place where he's selling. Yeah. So Tarantino says this is his most personal autobiographical film. Uh, the character that he wrote is him. Like it's, I mean, they substitute the uh, the video archives for a comic book store, but you know that's him. Yeah. That's all of his interests. He wrote the film before he he had never had a girlfriend, so he said that the Patricia Arquette character Alabama is just his fantasy when he wrote the movie of like the perfect girlfriend for him at that time. Interesting. Interesting. He's a huge cinema nerd, and that's what I appreciate about that's what I noticed was like, oh, Tarantino, Tarantino. It's like. He's putting in all of these references that only he would under only right, he yeah. could truly appreciate Absolutely. all of these references about I the know. films Elvis was in and this film, this film, this the, film. The girl in the opening scene and he's like trying to ask her out on a movie date and she's like, You're gonna invite me to a kung fu movie? And she's like, Three kung fu movies. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's such Street a Tarantino. Fighter, Street Fighter Two and uh, yeah. Sister Street Fighter, I think. Well and, and like 
the the seriousness of the character saying like no like I'm not kidding around. This is what we want to do triple tonight, feature. you know. Yeah. And and like that is like so Tarantino, right? Yeah. I mean, I've got I've got even more notes on what's so Tarantino about this movie, but we're we're talking about score right now, right? Oh, we were oh, yeah. about to talk about score. So this is something that we were talking about while we were watching the movie because I, you know, it's a Hans Zimmer score. Hans Zimmer, of course, is a legendary like film scorer, probably second to John Williams. Um, there's that's, some that's pretty high praise. I don't put him anywhere near John Williams. Really. He certainly uh, works a lot. He works he's, a lot. He's in a lot. He does a lot. Uh, I'm sure he throws a and hell a of a Hollywood Inception, party. Inception, Interstellar, Pirates of the Caribbean. Sherlock Holmes, I thought, had a wonderful score. And he did that as well. Add that in there. Um, All the Nolan films. Gladiator. Gladiator. Man, this guy's... He's, he's, okay. The earliest... I was looking at Hans Zimmer just earlier, uh, his IMDb, and the earliest one that I thought was like a big movie... One that I recognize, A League of Their Own, which is interesting. I've, I've never seen it. And even before that, he was doing a lot of movies that I have not heard of. And before that, he was in the band, which you called it The Bugles. The Bugles, yeah. Video with killed the radio G's, star. So I always called them The Buggles. Damn. But, but yeah, which I never knew I that It could part. be The Buggles. I don't know. <laughs> video killed the radio star, which uh, was the first ever music video to play on MTV. Really? And Hans Zimmer is in yeah, that, that video. That's kind of a. A very fitting, you know... The song is know, about right? being the first song <laughs> to be on the video. Video killed the radio. I wow. mean, it adds to the legend, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, so there was... When we were watching the, the film, there were some moments where the score was playing, and some people in the room right now were like, I don't know if this fits the mood that the, the scene it is did, It didn't for. fit the mood. Yeah, so there, there's this, like, tropical kind of... Uh, do you still have it pulled up? It's like, it, it's like, it's like a orchestrated, like, marimba, xylophone, steel drum, you know, I, kind I of... Say, this this um, song is, like, in my, like... It's a n- number of playlists that I listen to a lot. Like, I love this, really? this song. And it's, it's... I don't have a problem with the song. The, the problem that I have is with... The placement in the movie, like there, there are several parts where I was like, "Really? Like, this is they how?" A lot too. Yeah, but yeah. it's like this is how we're telling the story. It's freezing cold in Detroit, and you got this tropical steel drum going. Well, like, I kind of loved it. What does that have to do with anything? You have the. Uh, I'm gonna sound like kind of pretentious, but you have the juxtaposition of the Detroit winter, like people huddling around a fire pit, you know, uh, freezing. But then you have the warmth of this romance between Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette and like the dreams that they or, have or between Christian Slater and his dad uh, yeah right but you know and the dad's like yeah yeah I kind of I'm on your <clears throat> your where you're at basically it's like I felt the same way I felt like there's a little bit of satire involved just like okay yeah it's freezing cold but you know life's happy it's cool like well, there's a little bit of like that in there and like but like all, like what you were saying too like there's love in the air, even in, in yeah. a place like this. Like, it's, it's almost foreshadowing bad. to the uh, the ultimate destination, which <laughs> is which is a very too. tropical, like Caribbean destination. Chase like, said this doesn't work, and I was like, "You're right," but maybe it's supposed to work later. And then finally, <clears> they're like, "Let's go to Cancun," the and the music's playing again, and you're like, "Oh, so that's where the story is ending." Yeah. So so f- as, as that score starts, I was sort of like. Like where is this coming from? And and and, and Jake, you're right. Like that's that's the logical thing to think is like it's got to play in later, right? Right. But it because took, otherwise it made no sense. At, <laughs> at one point, I think it was the end of Act Two. It was at like an hour thirty into the movie, 
and they were finally in Los Angeles and that was playing in there like kicking it on a beach. And I was like, oh, <laughs> the score that I've hated for the last hour and a half now has the, is like, oh, it's working. Like it's actually working in this scene. Like that's like that's cool. And then again, at the end of the movie, when they go down to Cancun, they, they play it again. Yeah. And, and I even wrote down. It works again. <laughs> I, I'll concede it was, uh, they used it, they just used it all the time. Like, like oh, yeah. they, a lot. they used the same theme for like every scene, whether it was, well, it was yeah. always, it was always the two of them. It was always them in their own heads, not realizing how much danger they were in and being in love. And like, that was the music that was like, everything's happy. This is a rom-com. That was the, <laughs> this is a rom-com music. Well, well, and also that's like Hans Zimmer's signature. I mean, he hit the, repetition of motifs musical motifs mm. like he does that in all of his movies like in the dark knight it's that he there's like two notes like do 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 you know it's like mm. or maybe i'm thinking of inception bah, with that one bah, maybe they're Jaws. both very similar the, they, yeah they're both kind of similar and they both it's like a very small musical idea that he just supplants throughout the movie in different ways and in that movie i think you know 20 years later He's much better at it. Right. But uh, it was an early, early career for Hans, for sure. Yeah, I, I felt like in this one, some serious growing pains. Like, he probably <laughs> he probably looks back at this movie and goes, man, what the... F-? Like, <laughs> I, I just did not give this movie my all. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how I felt. But, and, and, it's, and again, Kai, it's not that I don't like the music. Like, the music itself I actually think is pretty good. I just... What I didn't like was where the music was matched married with the movie i i think i can see that in some ways i think there are there are most of the times he uses it the score works really well but yeah he he like wrote 15 minutes of music and then just used it over and over again. yeah like Uh, like like so for example in those scenes in detroit when it's all cold he could have used those same motifs and melodies and stuff mm -hmm. but just maybe you know, slow it down and and put it on a bassoon or something. Change it up a little bit instead of having it be a steel drum in Detroit. It just but doesn't I, make sense. I like the steel drum in Detroit. I, I'm where I came kind of came from was like knowing that it was a, a Tarantino Tony Scott film. I kind of went into it knowing that like there's going to be some things that are a little bit abstract. So like for me, I was like willing to be open about the fact that the music was a little bizarre for what was happening in the movie like i, I was i was like okay, you know this is a tarantino film you know it's a little bit weird yeah yeah from the start and so i was willing to accept it did we talk about the elvis hallucinations um kind of um on this did, do you guys track? know who played elvis in those hallucinations N- who no val kilmer oh that's who val kilmer was <laughs> yeah. i saw his name on the credits i was like i didn't see him in the movie yeah they purposely didn't use Elvis. his face because they didn't get permission <laughs> the from the Elvis estate to use any of Elvis's like uh, pro- intellectual property. That's funny. <laughs> so or likeness. So that's why in the credits. But they did use his. That's weird. So you can't. They were like neck down's cool. Legally, you're you're cool with that. Well, they they. I mean, in the credits, uh, Val Kilmer Kilmer is uh, credited as mentor, not Elvis. Uh, so they couldn't be like, oh yeah, it's Elvis. Clever, clever, yeah. clever. But uh, let's go over the cast because this is this is an insane cast. Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Dennis Hopper, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, 
Christopher Walken, Brad Samuel Pitt, did the best in the whole movie. Samuel L. Jackson had a great twenty seconds in the movie. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> he had like two lines. Yeah. <laughs> and neither of them were neither of the, neither of them were a motherfucker. And then he, he just gets that. blasted. It was certainly vulgar, though. It was vulgar, but he didn't say <laughs> motherfucker. Damn it! I think uh, <laughs> his two lines were. Yeah, you pussy idea, ass idea, everything. <laughs> and then he gets blown away yeah, by gets, shotguns. And he gets shot. Gary Which Oldman is pretty funny him. in that scene how the other guy is like, he's all, he's almost like offended by the idea yeah, of he, eating pussy. He's it, like, it's the '90s. You're not allowed to. Was that a '90s thing? <laughs> like, yeah, like he, it, he's I almost guess. like, might as well be a fag. You know, if he says something like that. Oh, man. God. Which I mean, th- we could talk about how those th- the. Use of that word, oh yeah, and the use of the N word, exclusively it, it, by white people in that movie. Yeah, no black yeah. person. Tarantino does that a lot in his yeah. movies. Yeah, Tarantino's a son of a bitch, dude. Why is he obsessed with that word? Well, this is. In, I mean, I found this in the the research, and actually, this is kind of the story behind you know the Sicil- the Sicilian speech in the uh, the film. Oh, that which scene? I thought was yeah. a great scene. It was this torture scene that has very little torturing. So it just has Christopher Walken looking so intimidating. Yeah, and a really well played uh, guy Mob who has bus. nothing to lose. I guess it's there's, a, there's a good punch in there, you know. Yeah, it's a great scene, but it's also like a very racist scene. And, yeah, uh, I mean, the- <laughs> but it's also a great scene. And yeah. but uh, Tarantino, let's talk about this scene because Tarantino says it's one of the most proudest moments of my entire career was writing that scene. Jesus, um, he's so terrible. So this is how the Sicilian uh, speech came about. Um, at one point, Tarantino was living with his mom, and his mom was living with uh, a a black couple. And he describes uh, Jackie and uh, and and her husband, whose name was Big D, who actually he based the Samuel Jackson character off of Big D. He says that in the in the credits, Samuel Jackson plays Big D in this movie. Uh, but he describes Jackie as his second mom. So he was raised in this house, and, and Big D told him, because he was a, a scholar of history, he told him about the Sicilian um, you know, invasion by the Moors, and that Sicilians are kind of like inbred with uh, you know, Africans, and, uh, and that's why they look the way they do. And so he, when he was in his early 20s and he was living in L.A. with his roommate, his roommate was Sicilian, and he gave him the whole, like, this, basically the same speech to fuck with him. And while he was doing that, he's like, this, is re- this should be in a movie. This is really good. <laughs> And that's how he wrote the scene. Yeah, just a quick summary of the scene. That's uh, the guy who's getting tortured for information, who's Christian Slater's dad. Um, he sort of turns it around on Christopher Walken, who's like the Italian mob. And he says, by the way, Sicilians are have black ancestors, basically. Is, Essentially, is, yeah. But, but he, in, in much more offensive He's words. playing off the fact that he knows the mobsters are racist. Yeah. Like, I, in that scene, I don't even think that he's actually racist. I think he's playing off the fact that he knows that the mobsters are racist, and they are very prideful about their heritage. Right. And when Homeboy had... He had just made a reference like, we're Sicilians, we're the best liars... You know, yeah. and he's like very proud, and so he just attacks that pride. That was the he best knows exactly part of that where to get him. How know? he ended his little speech because Christopher Walken says, "I know that you're lying because I'm a master of lying." Because yeah, I'm I can Sicilian. I can tell all the signs when people are and lying. And so after he talks about this uh, historical thing for three minutes, he says, "I'm serious." They're like la- everybody's laughing together. It's like mm-hmm. a weird. Eerie, it's uh, great tense tension. Moment. It's it's the it's set up perfectly. And then he tells Christopher Walken, he says, "I'm serious. You should know. Am I lying?" And like, I that love was... that. I love that it, point. And there's a missed opportunity for the word "bitch." 
Like he, he should, like, does it look? Am I lying now, bitch? I don't like, think that would have improved it. Oh, uh, I think that I, 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 I just want to insert that word into movies. You know, I, I'm kind of a, a thing. huge fan of how Quentin Tarantino really leans into the the um, the the lack of PC ness when he comes to his racist like screenplays. It, I enjoy it because it it makes you cringe a little, but also it's like like what you're saying. It's the characters that are being racist to each other, and they're they're pointing at like stereotypes for the for the race it's highly entertaining you know and it's like and it's you know a lot of it like what we're saying it has truth you know like it has truth to it you know and like when you're watching movies like um uh so, so maybe we should talk about the truth to it because it's actually a little bit wrong how he tells it okay from, uh, from uh, my uh, half-assed do you have research oh do so you have you, some of it chase? right so chase was doing some research on the the sicily thing yeah so the the moment in history that he's referencing is in the ninth century uh, the Arab invasion. Uh, With the Moors, I thought were from Morocco. Well, so the Arab invasion was the the thing that happened, but they ha- there was a lot of Northern African people that were like working with that army. Army. Okay. Because it w- it just it made sense. Like they were. It was like uh, enemy of my enemy is my friend. So so the Moors are Arab. Well, so. Uh, well, I, I don't. Or did the Moors not? I don't. Texas? I don't know who the Moors are. I'm not an expert in history. I just did some half-assed internet uh. research. But so there's the Arab invasion that happened, which had you know uh, people from that peninsula and then people from northern Africa that bred with those people. However, the blonde hair, blue eyes happened later. The when the Vikings came down, the northern response to that southern threat. The Vikings came down to battle with them in Sicily, and that's why there are blonde hair, blue eyed people there. It's more likely oh. that the African people were there first, and so they truly owned Sicily. And the, the Vikings came down and basically ran them out. Yeah. But with you know, but there was you know breeding that happened between all the different people that live on that island. So now that's why you had the olive skin and the brown hair that's a good point and like i think also one thing is that like if that's the truth a lot of times racism like between people like the people that are being racist to each other don't actually even know their own truth behind why they just are you know because they were raised that way to hate those other people yeah there's not even logic to racism. no that's yeah i mean there's maybe if you know like one race isolate one isolated race attacked another, then you can see why one race would hate the other race. But like, as thousands of years go by or hundreds of years go by, you kind of forget what exactly happened, and you just make up your own story. You know, your families make up their own stories to why you hate. Yeah. You know, well, I, I think forget is the wrong word, right? But but what you're saying is like those stories get lost over time. Exactly. It's not like it, it's not like we just forgot about things that happened in the past. We never knew them. Right. But yet they still find a way, you know, to be racist towards, you know, that other, like, uh, the Sicilians towards, um, who, who is... In Everybody. The, the Irish, the Sicilians, it depends how far back you go. Everybody was racist against yeah. the other right. at every point in their history. Mm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I like his, the way that he makes his characters treat each other that way. You know, like, play into those, those pressure points, and racism is definitely one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think he's uh, 
trying to be racist at all. It's just like he was raised partly you in a black household. Yeah, so. you mentioned his uh, his other mother was named Jackie. Is that inspiration for Jackie Brown? The, Might have been one of the next mm-hmm. movies he makes. Yeah, um, that's a pretty great movie too. I've never seen that one. Do you think it's it would good. qualify? Um, it would qualify as kind same of as any Tarantino movie, right? Yeah, it's it's the right era. It's the right era. I, I feel like it's not. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it would be all right. You guys want to hear about the uh, alternate casting for the two leads? Sure. It would have been uh, Val Kilmer and Drew Barrymore. Whoa. That was the uh, the alternatives. Hmm. What do you think? Well, I, I really liked Christian Slater as Clarence. I thought that was a great casting. Slater as Tarantino, basically, is what I was... I was, I was picturing Tarantino saying everything that Slater was saying. Interesting. Yeah. I thought that but, role is Tarantino. Yeah, it was like the weird way that he would approach people and talk to people and expect them to have the same knowledge as him. It's like it's like how I've seen Tarantino in every interview yeah. is how Slater was acting. He's got to be. But I thought of, he did a great job. He, he's still a, you have to believe that he's a nerd, but he also has to be like badass enough to kill a pimp and all of his cronies. And well, and also stuff. charismatic in a way that he doesn't understand that he's being forward. Yeah, he played it authentically, like as if he's yeah. just doing it. Because like, he's con- he's confident because he doesn't know that he shouldn't be confident because yeah. of how big of a nerd he is, and that's I think like what Tarantino gives off. Yeah. I, th- I thought Patricia Arnett played a really good Ar- kind Arquette? of. S- sorry, <laughs> pardon me, I don't know that actor very well, but uh, Patricia Arquette, I thought she played a really good, like slightly sleazy, really hot. <laughs> she was Danzel, a freaking fox. in distress kind of girl, but like she's a badass too. She's got heart, yeah. you know. She stands up. She did a lot of <laughs> fighting in that movie. More kills than Slater got, I think. Did he kill more than one person? Oh no, he killed. He two did. People he the killed beginning. a couple people. And yeah, she killed yeah. Two people. But she's the but badass. Was, but she, she's kind of sleazy too. She plays a little bit of a dirty girl, you know. But I, it's I, good. I wrote in my notes that I think she's the toughest person in the movie. Wow. She's tough. Yeah. yeah. That scene with Gandalf. Well, she's the only one that got tortured. Yeah, she got Man, that, she got the shit beat out of her, yeah. and the whole time she's yeah. like, "Fuck you!" I love my boyfriend. Stru- yeah, she's willing to stand up for her boyfriend. She's not willing to like to hell with it. You know, yeah, she's, st- she's sticking that with fool him. She's loyal. Throws her through the bathroom like oh, <laughs> window the glass. Yeah, yeah and all the crazy. It, oh, it's like scene. there's a lot of blood in that scene. Yeah, like, oh my god, on both sides. He he was bleeding yeah. too. That scene took five days to shoot. Yeah, and Damn, she's got the whoa. corkscrew, and she's like, <laughs> he's like, he opens up his shirt, he's like, yeah, that'll give you it. one shot, put it wherever you want, why, why and she goes right this in the a fucking, fucking arrogant butt. bastard, you know? He, he's like, oh, that's cute, like, let me, <laughs> just play let me, see, food, let me see what yeah. you got. She hits him in the foot, that was good. Yeah, that would be yeah. fucking painful. Shame. To get, hit, to get hit with that corkscrew in the chest, like, you might puncture an organ or something, and which would be bad, bad, you know? Yeah. But the foot, there are so many nerve endings in the feet. Yeah. Like, that would hurt so fucking bad. For real. Should we talk about uh, James Gandolfini for a second? Who's that? Uh, Tony Soprano. Oh, I haven't seen the What? No. This is the guy that she stabbed in the foot. Ah. Uh, Gandolfini? Yeah, guy. You guys know Gandolfini. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy was terrible. That was a terrible person, that guy. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. Um, so to prepare for this role, he lived out of a motel for the entire production. And uh, did not bathe or change his underwear what, <laughs> the entire what? time. Why are actors like this? <laughs> they, they, they're trying to be like method actors. You know, they yeah. got to get in full character. Also, that guy would change his underwear. That character. That's I think. that's kind of what I think too. <laughs> like, I don't, what makes you think this character seems like a well-groomed guy? I don't understand. Yeah, how does that? I, like, 
<laughs> I, I, I literally can't understand how he couldn't have been freshly clean in that scene. You know what? They Maybe. might have cleaned him up for the scene because they were like, dude, you look disgusting. <laughs> you need to take a shower. Maybe it's his good luck underwear. Movie. Maybe he's kind of a superstitious yeah. person, you know, and this is like early in his career and he's like, I need my lucky underwear on at all times so I can make this movie to break, to make or break my career right now. No, he's you know. depressed from if all the people he me, killed. Yeah, that's... If you told me that that was true of Brad Pitt's character, <laughs> I would believe it. Brad Pitt's character was a uh, a huge stoner and uh, he like, literally doesn't get off the couch the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And the mobsters will come in and be like, "Where'd they go?" And he'll be like, "Oh, they went to this." Like he he has <laughs> yeah. no he has no problem oh, like saying because he has no care in the world. He doesn't think there's I, anything wrong. I with loved it. every second of him on screen. The, yeah. The, the note awesome. that I wrote down is Brad Pitt is a genius. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, from Brad, what I learned about Brad Pitt in this movie, he uh, improvised almost all of his lines. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Don't condescend me, man. I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> he says to himself as the guy's outside the, the room guy. already. What What did the guy say that was came off condescending? Probably nothing. It just, just it, his like, overall like, attitude, demeanor. I think. Yeah. Like, but oh, I, I think it just goes me, to man. show that Brad Pitt's character is sort of like a uh, like a bedroom narcissist. Uh, like he thinks he's a great, a great person, turn. and he thinks he does all these great things, but really he just sits on the couch all day. Yeah. Which is which is a good character, and for. Tarantino just kind of sprinkle that guy in, you know. He probably knew a guy like that. Uh, well, some some fun facts about that character. Uh, Tarantino based that character on a composite of various LA roommates that he had throughout his early twenties. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, there was uh, there was yeah. something about uh, the. Um, so if you noticed, he was smoking out of a uh, a honey a honey a honey honey bear. Honey bear. Yeah. yeah. So apparently, oh, plastic honey that bear was like one of his old roommates used to smoke out of a honey bear. And so that's where he got that. He like that was a, the inspiration for Brad Pitt smoking out of a honey bear. That's funny. It, it reminded me of um, one, one of my really good friends from college. Uh, the, one of the first times I met him, he had this bong that was like it was like a squirrel, and like the squirrel's <laughs> tail like went up, but it was like an acrylic thing. It wasn't glass. Uh-huh. And and the reason he liked it is because it could you couldn't break the fucking thing like. Yeah. The glass breaks all the time, but that thing was just like you could throw it against the wall and it'd be fine, you know. But just don't spill the bong water. <laughs> uh, fun. Another fun fact about this character, Brad Pitt. Uh, he, this character is the inspiration for the movie Pineapple Express. Oh man, really? Jed, Jed Apatow saw this movie and he said, "Hey, wouldn't it be funny if we just do a movie about Floyd being chased by these?" Sicilian mobsters. Whoa! <laughs> and, Whoa. That, and that was the uh, the inspiration I'm for so what became. I'm so glad Floyd Pineapple survived Express. this movie. I was really worried about him <laughs> when when people just started dropping like flies. I was like, oh, Floyd, please stay alive in this movie. Yeah. If, if, which guy is Floyd? Brad Pitt. Uh, Brad Pitt's character. Yeah. 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 That's um, interesting, Kyle. That's a, that's yeah. I can totally see how someone would pick up on like let's make let's take this character and do like a side thing on him as all this is going so, on. So really he's funny. Seth Rogen in Pineapple Express. No, or he's, J- Frank- he's James Franco's Frank- character, the heavy stoner, just like not doesn't yeah. quite know what's going on. Like, he threw like he's my the guy who sits like, on the couch you, and he's like, wait, man, sweet all what do you mean, <laughs> man? Like, you know that scene? He's like, I got to cross you, man. You're triangulate on his position. Yeah. Well, so so maybe, me. Wait, maybe he took Brad Pitt's character and split it into two things, into sure. two characters, Seth Rogen and James Franco. Because there's a lot of uh, Seth Rogen's character where he's like listening to talk radio for fun and like 
he is dating a high schooler. Like he's he's a stoner as fuck as well. I feel like you know? the whole movie too follows a lot of the same uh, like procedure as Pineapple Express. Like because they keep, the main guys they're so dumb. Like uh, the husband and wife, they left. He oh, the he guy left his... left his driver's license at the scene of his first that was double homicide. Stupid. Yeah, and then the address to where they're going next is on the dad's fridge. Oh, there, yeah. there was a lot of and, moments in the movie where they're like interrogating they're about to torture do some terrible thing to somebody and then the information they need is like oh i never checked under the bed that's where the or like oh yeah, on the fridge it says the, the address of the sun. Yeah, like, you'd think that they would do a check first yeah before like pulling out the shotgun you know yeah so that was part of i mean that's why i think they had to survive is is they're not innocent but their stupidity lends they're to their innocence in this story know? yeah 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 that's kind of funny uh, we could talk about Gary Oldman's character Drexel. Wow, the pimp. Oh. What you guys <laughs> Gary think? Oldman's so <laughs> good in this movie. Yeah, Holy is, yeah. shit! Talk about method acting. Man. Oh man, he's fucking in it. He's got this dope like scar and like fake eye. Totally. Which the fake eye is like not that good. It's not that well done because <laughs> you can see like is... you see his eye moving. <laughs> yeah, fake eyes move. Well, Actually, I mean, it might have just been a fake blind eyes eye. move. Uh... I mean, it could be a blind eye. Like when people sometimes people right. get cataracts, it blind it. Like white, he did have like a scar. It's that kind of blind, you know. So it's like he got in some kind of battle where someone destroyed his eye, but he didn't lose it. Yeah, that's kind of what I got. Later, at the end of the movie. Oh, whoa! Christian Slater becomes Drexel. Maybe there's a time in the yeah in the sequel, which is coming out in 2023. Um, So, so Gary Oldman met with Tony Scott for the project. Um, He said he didn't have time to read the script. He asked Tony Scott to tell him what his character was that he wanted him for. Tony Scott said, you're playing a white guy who thinks he's black, and you're a killer pimp. <laughs> and uh, Oldman laughed and immediately accepted the role. <laughs> <laughs> and he performed that, the, that eight-word description, he performed that perfectly. Yeah, I yeah. Think. pretty good. He, uh, he stated that this is his favorite role of his career, Gary wow. Oldman. Wow, Academy Award winner Gary Oldman. And he said uh, he would like to do a film... That was centered around this character as the, the leading role. <laughs> he did, um, as that's he how was deep about to Tarantino goes with his characters, man. It's great. Yeah. Well, and also the actors, you know, just taking that character and making it just fucking good. Well, because I think know? like if you're sitting there reading this script, you're probably just loving it. Yeah. Mm. And then and then you're like, I want to be my character. Like I want to be, you know, Samuel L. Jackson is like, I want these two lines. Yeah. Yeah. Like you know, it's like. <laughs> It's like having a good quarterback on a team. It's like everybody wants to rally around yeah. that well, guy. Well, also this came know? out like after the the sensation that Reservoir Dogs. So when that movie hit, everyone's like, no one's writing movies like this, and all all of these actors wanted to be a part of any script or anything that Quentin Tarantino was original. It was very new. And, yeah. Was Reservoir Dogs like an immediate attention getter like that? I I, uh, I don't I don't know if it, like in box office, but I think it made a big splash in Hollywood yeah, just because it was so. Like original, the dialogue yeah, original. Is really good. Yeah, groundbreaking. I thought my favorite Gary Oldman quote in, in that movie. He's about to kill Slater, and he says, "I think he thought it was White Boy Day." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, is it White Boy Day? Is it White Boy Day? It is. Bodyguards. So. It's not White Boy Day. <laughs> it's so good. Oh um, my god! <laughs> like white, like that's a hol- holiday. What do you guys think of the chemistry between <laughs> Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette? Do you feel surprised? I felt like it was good. Yeah, it was I was convinced by it. Uh, you got, would you guys be surprised if I told you they were uh, having sex 
off camera. Really? As well as on. Wow. I would not be surprised by I that. I guess not. It's the 90s. Christian Slater described the situation as difficult due to the fact he was already in a relationship with someone else. Ooh. Uh, so another method actor. Yeah. What's Damn. what's the name of the actor that, uh, that plays Clarence's dad? Arquette in that movie. Dennis Hopper. Yeah. Dennis Hopper. Uh, so what about the scene where he kisses? Oh my god! <laughs> I wrote that in my notes. Oh my god, that was <laughs> that weird. Was so why did they include that in the movie? I don't know. Because it's because it's a Tarantino I don't understand. movie. Yeah. Maybe Hopper was number two on the call sheet, and you know he was also banging her. Oh yeah. my god! <laughs> Behind the scenes, true romance. I swear, if that like. Um, you know, steel drum soundtrack wasn't playing behind that scene with the the father, you know, daughter in law kiss. That would have been a little uncomfortable. Yeah, it was just a goodbye kiss, audience. And um, what is it? Dennis, what's the guy? Dennis actor? Hopper. Dennis Hopper. Slater's dad kisses the wife goodbye on the lips. And first you're like, oh, weird. And then it's like they a big like- kiss. But it's not only one big kiss. It's like it's where you open and you go again. Like I, yeah, a, yeah. It was a full. Kiss. They were, yeah. they were both. In, it was makeup. sexual. Ugh. It was sensual. And then he says afterwards, "Christmas that, Day's like, hey, what are you doing? Like, haha, so funny, know. so yeah. silly. Like, I got you, son." <laughs> and then, she really and then does. Afterwards, he like lifts his zip. He's like, "I was like peach." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah like, son of a bitch. She, yeah. she does taste like a peach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gross, dude. Oh my gosh. Yeah, not weird. Weird addition. Is that two movies in a row with a peach reference? Uh, face off. I could eat peach for hours, man. I'm going to change the title of the podcast. Um, Peach. Your dad's favorite peach movies. Just to remind everybody, uh, that was John Travolta learned how to talk like Nick Cage (laughs) off of just that phrase. I could eat peach peach for hours. hours. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, dude. You've seen Face Off. I have seen it. Oh, man, that was so fun. It's been a while, but yeah, it's a a very entertaining movie. Um, Um, What's next? So, all right. Um, oh, I got, I got something. Uh, another uh, Dennis Hopper scene with uh, Christopher Walken, where uh, Walken's being really intimidating, right? The and he Mr. offers Walken, him Dennis some Chesterfield, Chesterfields, uh, just for people who are not cigarette smokers. Chesterfields are like nice cigarettes. That's like like if somebody says explicitly like they would offer you a Chesterfield. They're not just offering you a cigarette. They're offering you a Chesterfield. Like that's like, you know, back when cigarettes were, you know, seven bucks a pack, five bucks a pack. Uh, Chesterfields are like twenty a pack. So it's like it's he's not just saying here's a shot of tequila. This is a shot of like Patron. You wow, know, it's, a, it's a nice it's mafia he's, he's, cigarette right there. He's offering something nice to him, you yeah. know, and that and I think that's meant to be understood by everybody, but not everybody understands Tarantino. No, brand, I, I, I wouldn't have known. That's interesting. I think if it wasn't, then you would call it a cigarette. So yeah, I, he was, I just by context. He was specific about yeah. the Chesterfield on purpose, you know. Yeah, yeah. interesting. You guys think the sex scene His added to the cigarette. movie? Oh my god! Oh, I forgot about the sex scene. Very Top Gun sex scene. Yeah, yeah. I thought it did. It was in. I thought it was in the taste of the movie. It was a little bit ridiculous. I mean, when she's like licking his torso. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those nice titties, man. Those they don't are, do sex nice. scenes like that in movies anymore. And I think it's because of the internet. You don't need to like huh, go to I the movie know. theater to see titties. It's been a while since I've seen a sex scene like that. You're right. In a, in a like a big movie. 
they had the lights, the lighting, just like Top Gun too. It's like this yeah. dim blue, like Tony Scott likes silhouetting lighting. people's lips and tongues. Totally, yeah. Doing combat, I, I feel like they they make fun of maybe not specifically this scene, but scenes like it in Wayne's World when um, he's getting down with the. Bass like player, super hot mega bay bass oh, player. Gosh, yeah. And then there's a there's a part where he's like jumps on the bed and then on the bottom of the screen it flashes gratuitous sex scene. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and he's sort of just like goofing off, you know. Like yeah. that's what, you know. That's the Yeah, I mean, uh there. I I hate to say this because it's like she she's hot, man. Oh man, she was a babe. <laughs> She was such yeah. a babe. Yeah, that's all. I just, I just feel like that needed to be said. She was very fun to look at. But you know, you you saw a full butt <laughs> of you, fo- you saw a full Slater butt in that sex scene, which I think is fair. Because if you're gonna show Patricia Arquette's boobs, yeah. you gotta at least show like a full balance butt. It out. You know, she was all decked out in the '80s attire too. She looked super cute in it. What's is it weird that Slater's but is more vivid in my memory than <laughs> it was a memorable uh it was the opening scene of that opening yeah. shot of that scene it's like whoa <laughs> slater butt <laughs> easy <laughs> oh my gosh you're right yeah yeah i guess it took me by surprise um do you think they uh they escalated the relationship a little too quick you know that's Getting what true tattoos. romance does so they they met for one night and then they got married the next i'm day. guessing within within the next week probably and they got tattoos. Yeah. I would have thought it was literally the next. Like they were in the same outfit. I thought. I don't remember for for sure. Yeah. Is the first night too early to say I love you? <laughs> Do you think he wiped the blood off of his face for the wedding? The wedding was before he did the murder. I think it was like yeah, a few yeah, hours yeah. before he did the murder. Oh, was... you think it was before? No, no. The wedding was. The before. wedding was. Yeah. Because they got married at the courthouse. And they said, Mrs. Oh, whatever, yeah, I didn't Mr. pick up whatever. on that. And then, and then they got the tattoos, and then he's I like, didn't even realize that's what was happening. Yeah. I just kind of glossed it, I guess. No, yeah, I, I I, was in the same boat. It seemed like they were just walking out of their apartment building. Yeah, like, they left the courthouse yeah. and calling right. each other Mr. and Mrs. You're right. last name. So yeah. that's what induces his... Then they like, get the tattoos. He talks to Elvis, and yeah. he's like, I got to go kill this guy yeah. for my wife. What do you so think? it's like the day after the wedding is when he performs double homicide. So overall, I think the relationship moved at a, the correct speed. <laughs> what do you think would have happened if um, he didn't decide to go kill uh, Drexel, the pimp? Do you think, think they, they would have just lived happily ever after in Detroit? Yeah, watching kung fu movies on the couch at the comic uh, book store. No, I, th- I feel like Drexel's the type of guy that would have came after her Alabama. So? She had only been there for three days. Do you think he would have come after? Well, th- yeah, so that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't think three days is enough time for him to get into freakout mode. Like he's he's like, oh, my bitch didn't come back. Like whatever, I'll just keep waiting. Right. So, it, so maybe if if he hadn't gone and killed him three days later, if it would have been say like three weeks later. I think Drexel would have been pretty upset when it could come and try to find her. I mean, I'm saying that I don't think she was in his business long enough. If she didn't owe him any money, I don't think that his character, who had this big drug deal going on, would have given her a second thought. You think it would have just all slid by? No movie? I think he would have thought maybe she's dead because it's a tough business, or maybe she's on drugs, or it doesn't matter. And See, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like... He's the type of guy that would be upset about a girl just leaving and not saying anything. He would want her back, but that's just that's just 
my my version of it. You know? <laughs> Not after you got shot in the face multiple times. People didn't only get shot in the face once in this movie. Yeah, That's what I realized. several times. Walken shot the dad several times in the face. Yeah, he made and him open his eyes. <laughs> I haven't shot a man <laughs> since 1984. Yeah. Which is nine years because the movie came out. Later, <laughs> which which is actually kind of a cool line because it goes to show like he's the big shot. He doesn't have to kill people. Yeah, but the other guy crossed the line I mean, so bad. far that he was like, Just "I'm gonna kill you myself," and I haven't even fucking killed black. anybody in I, ten years. Like, yeah, I listened to Tarantino's um, uh, commentary over that scene. And it's funny because he's like, it's he he loves the scene so much, and he was like, it's it could be argued that the scene is too good. <laughs> it really is a good scene. Like because I'm gonna like, remember that scene of this movie for a long. I really did like I, that I, scene. I saw this movie um, when I was in college, so it must have been like 2012. But I saw the movie, and really the thing that I remember most about the movie was that Sicilian speech scene. There you go. Uh, but Tarantino's case is like that the scene was so good that it overshadows the rest of the movie. And like you can't <laughs> beat, you can't, everything that follows that scene doesn't measure up to it. But. Well, I, but, I wish we would have kept count of how many times he's the N word in that scene. It, it's freaking <laughs> it terrible. That's why he likes that scene. <laughs> yeah. Because he got away with Dude, how getting. How does he get away with using the N word all the time? Ugh, he's such a piece of shit. <laughs> he says it himself in Django, too. He's like, he's got to go one step well, further. Well, Django makes sense because, like, no, you he, can't make I, a movie about slavery. I it. know, I know. But I'm saying he was like. The person who says it the most, let me play that role. I want to go one step <laughs> further in this. Well, and I want to be also, in the movie saying the word. Oh, and, and in, in Pulp, Pulp Fiction, Fiction when yeah. they they accidentally blow the dude's head off. Yep. And he makes he makes an appearance. Tarantino makes an appearance in the movie, and he uses just the N word in just that. Just to say yeah. the N word. And yeah. it's like, what? Like, why do you want to be the guy that gets to say it and get away with it or whatever? Like, why do you want that? <laughs> I don't. Well, I, I get it's because he's a piece of shit. He's a motherfucker. I don't, no, he, I don't think he's a piece of shit. I think he. I think he totally is a piece of shit, and that's why he makes great movies. I, th- I mean, <laughs> what's Those I think where, when I, you think about like if someone's a piece of shit or not, you have to look at intent. What is I don't, the intent? I don't think his intent is racist. I, I think, think his intent is I want why oh I as a white person want to use that word and I will use that word because I'm I, the director of this movie. See, it's arrogance. I could see the case of being like I don't like being told that I can't do something, so I'm going to to find a way to do it just to prove that I can. Uh, but I don't think it's coming from a place of of racism. like actual hate for black people or anyone no. else. And I, I, and I, I don't Jackson think it's hate for black people, for but I, I, on this issue, I, I think he he's a motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, he was also raised in a household, you know, uh, with like his he he calls his second mother, uh, and she was black. So, but just because that's part of his intersectionality doesn't mean that he's not a piece of shit or that they weren't pieces of shit too. We don't know. Just four white guys, huh? <laughs> exactly. So Tony Scott was coming off of a huge run leading up to this movie. Here's the, the list of, of movies and what they grossed. Top Gun, over $300 million, yeah. 1986. Beverly Hills Cop 2, $277 million, 1987. Did he do the first one? No, he didn't do uh. the first one. Uh, Days of Thunder, 1990, grossed uh, $158 million. The Last Boy Scout, the movie where Quentin Tarantino got his big break. Uh, 115 million. Quick, quick side note: in this movie, when he's testing up the wire mm. that uh, what's his name is wearing, he says, "Say something." And he says, 
my name's whatever. I'm a Boy Scout something uh-huh. something. And I was like, I think hey, a reference. Mm. Um, he might have even said last Boy Scout, but I don't think he said that. No, he didn't say last. He said something, though. He said something about, uh, I'm just a Boy Scout. I'm just a Boy Scout. Trying to sell something. So at this point, uh, coming off of uh, Last Boy Scout, early 90s, Tony Scott is like the big, big budget, like huge uh, blockbuster action movie director. Um, they made True Romance for $12.5 million. Wow. How much do you think it grossed? Thirty million. Sixty. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say a hundred and ten million. Movie was a failure. Mm. It only grossed twelve point three. Oh, it grossed less than it cost to uh, make the movie. Yeah. Is that worldwide? Uh, it was only released domestically, so that's that's what they got. Dang. Yeah, it was, it was his biggest flop to that point. Yikes. Um, why I couldn't see that movie, you know, being very popular then. I think they didn't know how to market it because Quentin Tarantino was still like new, and so I people still didn't know, don't how, to, know like, how to market his, it. Like, I don't know what I just watched. Yeah, that's a, that, I think it's a good point. Like if if Quint, if this movie were to come out today with Quentin Tarantino having a big name, I'm sure it would have grossed much, much. Absolutely. Much more. Now well, that people why, go to the movie because it's because Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino. That's yeah. why I thought I was like, this is weird because this isn't what I expected because it's not really. It's ahead of the era that we've been watching our movies in. Well, I think what the most interesting thing about it is it's it's a Tarantino movie, but like now Tarantino directs all of his movies, so like we know the Tarantino brand. But this is like the one Tarantino movie where it had like this action movie director who did Top Gun and Beverly Hills Cop, and it's it's such a it's like a different take on a brand that we're like so familiar with in a different way now. Yeah, um, which I thought was interesting. Uh, it came out, so it's it's opening weekend. It it, uh, it came out third in the box office for September tenth, nineteen ninety three. Do you guys want to guess it. which movies came out ahead? I so, don't know. Uh, Harrison Ford's The Fugitive and Dennis Quaid's Undercover Blues released ahead. Hmm. Yeah. The Fugitive is super good. We should we should cover that. I, I'd be down. That's a fun one. I have a. A funny fact. Um, so, who was the character that they wired up? Uh, what was his name? Elliot. Elliot. Okay. Elliot. So Elliot's R. character, R. that uh, the actor who played him, um, when they did the roller coaster scene, that actor was terrified of roller coasters, like in real life, and he took lewds to like get himself to calm down for the scenes. I, I heard that was Michael Rapaport. Uh, I, I heard it was him. Is it? You're saying that the other guy, the the roommate. Dick? The uh, the actor roommate. Oh, you it, saw it was him. It, that's from the research I got. It was because like the video I was watching on it was like emphasizing his face because like he does like that uh, weird face where his eyes kind of like go like oh like they were like emphasizing that, and they they shot the scene over a couple of days and there was like you could tell the difference between the first day that they shot when he was sober and then the second day when he was high on <laughs> high on the drugs. This movie was crazy. Thinking back about it, it was like. <laughs> There was like this murder, and then there was like a drug deal that took an hour, and it was just, I, I, I was along for the ride, but I like, what the hell just happened? I'm just looking back, like, wait a second. Should should we talk about our uh, our rankings as as far as uh, yeah? uh, What what are the two categories? Like how good, how good good is the movie objectively, and then subjectively, how much did you like it? Did we uh, did we get the uh, kill count on this? Oh, no, we did not. Uh, what was it, 19? I'll run through it real quick, all right? So 
Um, so the current the, record holder, Gary it, Oldman kills two people in the beginning. Uh, our main sorry. guy goes in and kills Gary Oldman and his bodyguard. That's four. Then there's the torture scene where Walken kills the dad. And then the hitman comes to finish Patricia Arquette and gets killed. And then there's that's it, except for the giant shootout at the end in which 13 more people die. So there's 19, so 19, 19 kills. Total, wow. 19 total deaths in this. Whereas, so, but the face-off has the record still. And the, you were asking earlier, Chase, who did die at the end there of that 13. It was four cops, four uh, Italian mobsters, two bodyguards, a film director, his assistant, and our friend Dick, who was innocent and never got to see. Like we never so even Dick, got to see him die. Like I, that's gotcha. that's kind of disappointing. I think that's that's like a he hole in the, the movie making. Like it should have it should have shown him like hiding under the couch or something. Like one shot. Because I don't yeah. remember him dying. It was a chaotic. scene. I don't remember him dying either. I remember him throwing but the bag in the air. He definitely didn't escape either. Like he didn't run. Wait, so did he really get the role? Oh. That's, I thought that it that he Sad. had, I thought that he had, and that's why we would be that, sad to see him die. That was completely separate from the whole shootout. Right, that scene, had nothing so, to do with that. So maybe he really did get that role. Yeah, I think he was gonna be on T.J. Hooker if he survived that Poor shootout. Guy. Well, maybe and, there's a post-credit scenes we need to go back and see, <laughs> and he's gonna be on. Called him to tell him. Did Elliot call him? I, I think it's his agent. agent. Because the way huh. I saw it was they were trying to set them up to get them to a certain place so the cops could bust them. That was I yeah. That was what the. That, but that's not how it played see, out. See, I, I I was under the impression that um, because Lee, the movie producer, specifically asks if Michael Rappaport is any good, and Elliot tells him yes. It, it specifically Elliot says, "I lied and told him yes." <laughs> he said I was good. Yeah, that, I that's lied. the nicest thing Elliot did the whole movie. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's good. And uh, so so I think if I'm just thinking this is a real world situation, that he probably did get the role because somebody vouched for him like lee said yeah actually i know i know that guy you should put him in this and they went okay and they got him the role and then he ends up fucking getting caught up in a shootout that's (laughs) too bad and it's too bad they didn't even like highlight his death at all it's just sort of glossed over we're still (laughs) not even i'm not even confident what happened to him if he lived or died so 18 or 19 maybe it's ambiguous for a reason you didn't see him you didn't see him die on screen so i'm thinking he's he's he went and played on i don't think it's likely he made it i wonder if he gets shot in the shot where he throws the bag up and that's like why the bag gets thrown up no because he throws the bag like as a distraction as a distraction so he can get out of there we need to watch it again yeah we'd have to watch that scene again 18 to 19 19 with an asterisk on the body count for this movie when you I'm think cool about Elliot's cool. character too, like Elliot's character was, he's just some middle guy who's like, "Oh, I'm gonna try and set up my friend here my, with you know my boss," and then just gets wrapped up in all this and becomes Very a informant for the police, and then gets wasted. He gets at the pulled end. over with cocaine. <laughs> he all was like, over him. "I'm good, right? I can get out of here." And they're like, "Fuck no!" Yeah, 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 yeah. He's dead. Oh, I treated yeah. you like a son. Oh you God, stabbed yeah. me in the heart. Oh, oh one God. thing I wanted to mention is I thought the Detroit scenes were funny because it was just like, let's take shots of stuff and just make them gray. Mm-hmm. And like all of Detroit was just, it was pretty much a black and white movie it, when it was which, shooting. Which Jake is from Michigan, so right. he knows what he's talking about. You know, and it, it reminded me. It of, wasn't um, far off, to be honest with you. Like winter in uh, Michigan is pretty gray, yeah. for sure. But it was just a funny. They made it look cold I mean, and gray and dirty. They certainly 
uh, romanticize the slums more than just like every movie that's like, look, Detroit, look how scary it is. Is like, yeah, this is all of Detroit all of the time. Yeah. Sure. Beverly Hills Cop, uh, they contrasted Detroit with L.A. as well. It's kind of mm-hmm. like a perfect opposite. Yeah. Of like a dying winter blue collar city. So like the glamorous, you know. Yeah, gray to orange and, and sunny Los Angeles. And they made it to L.A. quick in this movie. I feel like oh they, yeah! Overnight, they were like yeah, they, they made it there in their Cadillac. Uh, do you guys have any final thoughts before we do the uh, the the ratings? I do have one thing. Uh, I thought that I remember like uh, you. We paused the movie for a second, uh, so one of us could take a bathroom break, and I saw how far we were into the movie, and I was like, "We're already that far." Oh, really? Like the movie went by for me super quick. I was. By the time we were about four-fifths of the way through the movie, like, leaning towards the end, I thought that the movie was still, like, unraveling and getting going. That's like, a good sign. Like, I thought, yeah, like, oh, no, I thought the whole movie was pretty compelling. Like, there wasn't any scenes where I was like, this is kind of dragging on. And, like, the the whole thing where, like, they're going to meet the boss, like, uh, to do their little deal, you know. Um, like the, the ending a- after scene the, the big shootout? Well, yeah, yeah. like, yeah, that yeah. scene. Like, as that scene was approaching, Sting I was... Operation yeah, like, I was everything. just thinking that the movie was getting going and there was going to be a whole other, like, section. You know, like, I, for some reason, was expecting a lot more. Huh. And I was like, oh, the movie's actually going to end And that whole Sting here. setup was, like, so funny and entertaining, too. Like, what it is supposed to be 500 pages. So. That's true. <laughs> right. They cut a lot out. Yeah. Right. Have you guys seen the Natural Born Killers, the other movie that was? I have not. No. I'm curious yeah, though. It's now. weird. It, it's it's also like Oliver Stone took it over, and he really changed a lot of the the script from Tarantino. So it's just a weird movie. I didn't like it that much. Mm-hmm. But um, all right. Yeah, I'm ready for my score. I got my written down. All right. What do you guys got? Want to start? Sure, 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 sure. All right. So I will say. Oh, the score is just just to like reiterate yeah. this. Uh, we're doing two scores. One is the popcorn score. How entertaining is the movie? How like fun is it to watch? Just to like, you know, for entertainment value. The other one is the critical rating. More serious. If you were a, a voting member of the Academy, like, what chances does movie have of winning Best Picture? So, all right. So, uh, I will say, having said like that, the Sting operation was funny. Everything was entertaining in its own. I enjoyed every bit of the movie. So I'm going to give it an 8 from my personal mm. self. Critically, because I enjoyed every bit of the movie, but none of those bits actually make sense together. <laughs> like, uh, uh, Critically, I'm going to give it a lower score than that just because it was good, and I think it was well-written, but it could not decide what it was trying to do, or at least that's the whole purpose of seeing this movie is like, going along for that ride so critically i'm gonna give it a six um so i kind of feel the same way like as far as like the critical score i feel like uh i don't know like critically as a movie i feel like it it's just lacking in a lot of different ways like the writing's really good the weird score the, comes in that, to mind well and the acting's really good yeah um which is which is my favorite aspect but i feel like if if you were a critic in 1993 and you saw this movie you'd probably be like nah like not very good so i, I think my critic score is a 3 whoa and then Jesus. uh yeah <laughs> that's so bad yeah and then um 
the popcorn score, I'm giving it a four. Oh, because uh, I thought you enjoyed the movie. I did enjoy the movie, but less. And I think th- it's a good rainy day movie. I think if you don't have anything else to watch, <laughs> put it on. You know, you're not going to be upset. It's an. It's below a f- five means you you didn't enjoy it. It just means well, he likes seventy percent of movies better than it. I. I well, I just I. <laughs> th- no, the real reason for the the low score is that, like, when we were watching like Cliffhanger. Like yeah. we're we had these big moments where the director is like causing you to physically like oh yeah 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 you know you have these like big moments or even face off where you're just like laughing so hard because Nick yeah. Ca- Nick Cage is just so bad at acting <laughs> you <Yeah>. know especially <laughs> trying to be John Travolta for a whole scene yeah. you can't do it uh, you know it's like those those movies really like drew something out of me that made me like oh like big impact you know sure. I felt like this movie. You know, maybe it's a popcorn movie because you're just sitting there eating popcorn as you're watching it. But there's like there's nothing really going on. Like it doesn't. It's harder to invest. Is not very concise. You know, it's so it's like it's like you can watch it and you can have fun watching it and you probably will have fun watching it. But it's not like a. It's not the type of movie that makes you like get out of your seat or you know go call home about like. You know. It's just, and and this could be my lowest score for this whole podcast that we ever do. <laughs> you know, this is I, I was thinking about this when we were walking into the podcast. I was like, man, I'm gonna give this like low numbers. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's not that I didn't like the movie. I liked the movie, if and, you're and I like the writing. I like the in acting. like a hotel room, and you see this movie on, you'll keep scrolling and yeah. go back to it if nothing else is. <laughs> for, for sure, I would not watch this on TV because. If, if you would it's going to be first commercial, if, well, if they're going to cut out all the good stuff, oh right, and but there's a ton, there's a bunch of I'd like to see how they f bombs and n words and uh, you know there's <laughs> the sex the scene. scene. They'd they have to cut out half of the movie if they're going to put it on That's TV. True. If it's on TV, don't watch it. If, <laughs> if you're getting a, a cut version of it, just watch the full thing. It's a very R rated movie. Yeah, that's true. Um, and, and I enjoy it for what it is, but it's not a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I I still. Uh, Enjoyed the movie. I think I rem- when I watched it the first time, this is only the second time I've watched it, but I remember liking it a lot more or enjoying it a lot more the first time that I watched it. Oh, also Hans Zimmer kind of lowered that yeah. score a little bit. <laughs> I, I like the score. You know, um, I heard in an interview Margot Robbie got married. Like she walked down the aisle to the uh, the soundtrack. To no movie. way. Yeah. Um, but so as an entertainment, and also just coming off the back of – you know, such a great run of like face off was so much fun to watch. And I think this movie is like it's it's entertaining and it's captivating and it makes Derek forget how much time has passed when we get to the um yeah. hour thirty mark. But uh compared to the other movies we've seen, I, I think it's probably like an average popcorn rating, so I'm gonna give it a five for popcorn. Uh critically I mean there's a lot of good stuff about it. But um, I, th- I think it's probably seven. Give it a seven. For sure. I I really liked it. Um, for me, I I liked I liked the creativity of the movie. I really liked that it was original. Um, and, and I really liked the all star cast. And I loved the actors that were the all star cast. Um, the 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 plot was a little bit free. Like, it, you know, like what Jake said, like maybe it didn't know where it was going 100%. Um, 
that maybe took it down a little. So I would say for entertainment, I have to be conservative because you know I, I don't want to give everything a ten or a nine. You know, <laughs> so like I have to be conservative. I would say entertainment wise, I'd give it a seven and a half. Uh, I, I liked the movie a lot. It was original. I thought it was the satire of the Hans Zimmer uh, uh, score helped helped the movie. Everyone felt really comedy. strongly about the score. And like, yeah, it had so it I had, gave I, reactions. Yeah, it, it had it some comedy choice. to it. It made it seem like it's kind of funny, like what's happening right now, which I thought was true. Like the ridiculousness it lightens of what was it happening. For sure. Well, like, yeah, and it made it seem like everything that's ridiculous about this movie is kind of meant to be ridiculous. Imagine, Listen to this music. Imagine a dramatic score on top of this movie. That would be so weird. Yeah, that like would be yeah, so yeah, it would be uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. So I I would say yeah. for entertainment value, I'd give it a seven and a half. For whether or not it was a good movie, I'd give it a six and a half. Yeah, I think that's where I lie. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I think you guys are all too scared to use the uh, the lower numbers. Well, no, I'm not, if I, I like everything, I just haven't. We haven't seen a movie yet that I don't like. <laughs> yeah, so for me, like like a like a three or four is like I did not like the movie. It was a waste of my time coming yeah. over here. So like, I, I I feel like we need to adjust our scales here because you think we should do negative numbers? <laughs> no, no, because like we have a pretty good list of movies going it's like we're not going to run into movies that are so bad that you have to give it a two or a three like w- that's not the range of movies that we're talking about so if like if your range of movies is but this wide we're already looking at the upper echelons they've made it right. 20 30 we're years rating it for all of movies we're not rating it for our collection of movies i'm rating it for our collection of movies Oh, okay. well, maybe we should decide. I, I think because otherwise we're going to be doing sixes, sevens, eights, and nines yeah, the but you whole don't time. Tell, like an audience member that this movie is a two because it's the worst of our movies. Yeah, but if they want Rotten Tomatoes, they can go on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, well, but the other thing though is like most of the people that are listening to this may not know what our movies that are on our list are, so they don't have a reference point. You know, like all they know is what are good movies, what aren't, and you know. That's something to think about I too. Mean, I think it's we don't have to decide right now. Maybe we like. I, we, we, it's entirely this. possible that we can I'm, get a movie that someone doesn't like, especially if they haven't seen it. Like, I mean, they were doing who doesn't enjoy movies watching. your fathers liked, but yeah, some, not all those movies hold up. Um, well, okay. we'll see. We'll have yeah. to. Uh, it's hard for me to put a movie that I know I'm gonna hate on this list. That's right, the like trick. The, the movies that we're <laughs> right. picking are movies that we like. Yeah, but not. Well, well, and I think that's what my point is is that like they're all they're all going to be enjoyable to some extent mm-hmm. you know if they were really bad they wouldn't they're not going to make it on the list so for us to like we're just going to be doing we might as well just say what's your score six to nine like no no i think uh most of these movies are going to be good you have to you have to use those lower numbers they're there well, for a reason the difference between a six and a nine is pretty big <laughs> But the I, difference between a one and a nine or a one and a ten is is much more descriptive. I think you could also not. You talk wouldn't have about to do half points. You know? Twos, and that that you can have a whole podcast that doesn't talk about the two movies because we don't want to watch them. <laughs> well, well and that's what I'm saying. Like, we should be rating. We should be using the whole scale rather than rating it on all movies because obviously there are movies that are not as good as true romance but it's true romance you know i scored it pretty low not because it's low on all movies i, I scored it low because for this i think i got the lowest score of, of our of our uh podcast history i mean i'll well. spoil t- for me top gun is going to get a less than five rating <laughs> 
I'm not a fan of that one. Well, uh, just wait till you watch it again. You might change your mind. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but, but all right. So people, uh, if they want to understand how Chase is scoring, you know his <laughs> philosophy. I'd maybe that's that. how we do it. We'll ex- well, that can, it, maybe that can just be my philosophy, yeah, and, you, and you guys could do whatever the fuck my, you want. Yeah, mine is <laughs> like five. Is like means I'm. It's not like anyone is rating us. You know, it's right. for fun. True romance. I, yeah, I liked the movie. I thought it was good. Oh, I'm gonna kill some people for you. It kind of reminded me of Point Break a, a little bit. How so? The just the slight ridiculousness of the movie, and like, you know, like it was th- kind of. Yeah, I think of the four that we've seen, this was the least um, unintentional comedy of the four. Interesting. The least, like, un- so the, like most the most self-aware. Comedic. Yeah, the comedy moments that they they're making them on purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can I believe that too. I yeah. thought so too. And it, everybody has just the wrong reactions to things. Like they were like, "Oh, go get my clothes." He comes back with a full bag of cocaine, and it's like <laughs> normal people would be like, "Those Uh-oh. aren't my clothes." These guys are like, "Whoa, <laughs> yeah, my uh. man." I don't know. Maybe maybe there's uh, i I'm sure there are a lot of people that would be like, oh, if they accidentally have a huge bag of cocaine. See, that's true romance, you know? That's where they were perfect together. Like he's, they got he's married like, that yeah, I killed day. your pimp, and she starts crying. It's like, that's I, so I just romantic. Yeah. On that note, thanks for tuning in, everybody. And uh, <laughs> we'll get you next week with Desperate. <laughs> Later. Later.